Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Just a heads up before we begin. This episode contains references to drugging, incest, sexual violence, death, and abuse. Please listen with care. Previously, on Very Scary People, the Ken and Barbie Killers. While Carla was sitting in jail for her involvement in the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, she decided to come clean about something else. Her little sister, Tammy. She revealed her and Paul plotted to drug and sexually assault Tammy at their family Christmas party. After the startling confession, only two more years were added to Carla's sentence. But Paul faced an additional murder charge. It's the morning of May 18, 1995, the first day of Paul Bernardo's long-anticipated trial. Droves of people are lining up around the multi-level concrete courthouse on University Avenue in Toronto, Ontario. People would line up often overnight with their sleeping bags or with their lawn chairs and wait in line so that they could get a spot inside. The crowd outside the courthouse is incredibly diverse, certainly reflective of the country's biggest city. But it wasn't limited to locals. There was all different age groups, all different nationalities. There was Americans coming over to watch the trial as well. Like, it was a worldwide event. Everyone's hoping to catch a glimpse of Canada's infamous criminal duo. It's like, I want to see the face of evil. You know, I want to, you know, I want to see Bonnie and Clyde. And because it was a public trial, some of them would get their chance. It was so bad that they... There was a ticket system. You had to line up and get it. You couldn't get in unless you had a ticket. Every national media outlet was there, too. Press from national stations like CBC and CTV and smaller local stations alike were interspersed into the crowd of hopeful spectators. They had their branded microphones held up to their faces and cameras lugged over their shoulders. We don't have cameras in the courtroom. So they set up on the 
opposite side of the street facing the entrance to the courthouse, a two-layered structure that allowed all the media outlets to have essentially an office on scene. It was an unprecedented spectacle, but nobody could seem to look away. There was a weird cartoonishness to it at the same time as the horror of it all. It became a bit of a circus in, in a weird way, but Canadians just were gripped that summer by the horror of, of what these two people had done. But there was one thing spectators were holding their breath for, the videotapes. Playing the gruesome tapes in court sparked controversy. Families and others didn't want the tapes played in court at all. But without them, a fair conviction could be jeopardized. We needed to see the perpetrators brought to justice, and they were the vehicle that made sure that everybody understood very clearly uh, what had happened. And after careful consideration, it was decided that the infamous videotapes would be played. It's just the sick details and the fact that it's on video. Like, even a movie producer couldn't have possibly created the kinds of things he did to these girls. And the battle for the last word between Carla and Paul intensified. The experience of Carla's testimony was one of the most anticipated by anyone who was observing this trial. Four months would go by as each side presented their arguments, called expert witnesses, and cross-examined Carla and Paul in pursuit of the true story behind the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. It dominated the Canadian news cycle. This case has become the most legally complicated story in Canadian history, and it gets stranger all the time. And for the first time, they'd hear from the man who sparked nationwide horror. The trial reached the height of its drama when Bernardo took the stand in his own defense. From ID, this is Very Scary People, the Ken and Barbie Killers. I'm your host, Donnie Wahlberg. You might remember me from our first season, The Amityville Murders. And now, in this season, we're traveling to Canada, a place known for its cold beer and warm welcomes, to trace the twisted path of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, a couple from Toronto that appeared loving and wholesome. The truth is, they were anything but. We'll explore how the boy and the girl next door became the killers known as Ken and Barbie. This is Episode 7. Ken versus Barbie. On the first day of the trial, Chief Justice Patrick Lesage was sitting at the judge's bench, presiding over the 600-seat, wood-paneled courtroom. Soon, he wouldn't be the only person in the room. It was a packed courtroom. There was nervous tension. One by one, onlookers entered the courtroom and sat down. And to the right of the judge was the jury bench. 1,000 people volunteered to take on the case, but in the end, only 12 people were chosen, four women and eight men. And scattered throughout the courtroom crowd were the victims' families. It was the first time the Frenches, the Mahaffeys, and the Homolkas were in the same room. 
Wade Hemsworth was in the courtroom reporting for the Hamilton Spectator. Like many of the journalists there, he'd been following the case for years. Sitting where we were in such proximity to the families of the people who were directly impacted, who lost the greatest treasures of their lives at the worst time, they were sitting right in front of us. I could have tapped them on the shoulder. That's how close they were. All of them were remarkably dignified through something that no parent should ever have to face. They returned to court every day. In those initial days, everyone knew they were buckling in for a journey that would reveal painful truths. And it wasn't just the families of the murdered girls either, but another group of women Paul terrorized too. The victims of the Scarborough rapist filled two rows of seats in the front of the court. Their presence at the trial was significant. It was a testament to both their strength and their solidarity with Kristen, Leslie, and Tammy. They were dedicated to seeing justice fulfilled. Twelve days into the trial, reality would sink in even deeper when the videotapes were called into question. Playing the tapes in the courtroom was a tough call for Justice Lesage. After hearing arguments about whether the deceased girls had constitutional rights or did they die when they died and uh, did they carry over to the families, the judge had to make a decision. That's John Rosen, Paul's defense lawyer. Lesage ultimately ruled that only the jury, the lawyers, and Paul himself could watch the videos. The screens on the videos that the public could see would be blackened, you know, turned off, only when a victim was shown. The victim's families, the media, and the public were limited to only the audio. So they were on uh, these loudspeakers in the courtroom. Less than two weeks into the trial, the first tape was played. This was a huge moment for the court. It took nearly two years of tireless searching for these tapes, and now they'd finally be made public record. They were usually played three times. It seemed egregious, but each time served a purpose. The first time, they would just play it and we would listen. The second time, the jury was given transcripts to read while they were listening. The third time... There was a police officer on the stand who, one of the investigators, who would walk the jury through it and say, okay, pause there. You see there, that's the that's the cord that was used to strangle Kristen. See over there, there's the halothane. Or you see there, there's a bruise on her here. Tony Bryant, who worked on Paul's defense team, was among those who heard the tapes. He says the audio alone made its mark. Everyone knew, of course, that you were listening to the last minutes in the lives of of these young women. That's just difficult to do. I don't care who you are. One by one, each tape revealed the terrifying details of what Kristen and Leslie endured while held captive by Paul. Joy Malbaum was in the courtroom, too. She remembers and has never forgotten the specific evidence they contained. We heard young girls being raped, hit, abused, tortured, yelled at, sodomized, on their knees, crying out for their brothers, crying out for their parents. And Kristen, 
Kristen fought back. This was a, a memory of mine because it was part of the story that day when we learned that she decided to fight back with um, Paul Bernardo and her words were, some things are worth dying for. This is from a 15-year-old child who knows she's going to die because she knew, because they showed her tapes of Leslie Mahaffey being tortured. And as details from the videos made their way to the public, people outside the courthouse were calling for Paul's punishment. Kill him. Kill him. You should get rid of him. Kill him. Public hanging. Bring him up. But inside the courtroom, the girls' families were silently suffering alongside everyone else. The Homolkas often chose to stay, but... At times, plugging their ears to block out the sounds of the graphic videotapes. Some of the families couldn't bear being in the room. When the Crown would say, we are going to now play this tape, all the families would stand up and walk out. But there was one especially unforgettable day. Debbie Mahaffey came into the courtroom while audio of her daughter was playing. With a victim support service staff by her side, she stood there and listened. Joy and Kathy saw her that day. And I remember seeing Debbie Mahaffey, and she's crying, wailing, because she's hearing her daughter for the first time since she was kidnapped and then found dead. And what happened next was unforgettable. They got to the worst part of the tape, which is when Paul Bernardo is being incredibly violent with Leslie. And she's crying and she's begging him to let her go. She's crying, asking to see her little brother, asking to see her mom. She wants to see her friends. And you can hear in her voice that just how scared she is. And right at that moment, she let out this cry and this and this howl that it was just pure agony that she couldn't do anything to help her daughter. And she was listening to her in her final moments. After 20 days of tediously pouring over the videotape evidence, the prosecution was confident not a single detail, however excruciating they may have been, was looked over. But the videos ultimately couldn't determine the most important question of the trial. Because the, the videos did not show the actual killing, the question was still left open as to who did it. On June 19th, one month after the trial began, it was finally time for Carla to testify against Paul. The first day of her testimony, the courthouse was buzzing. The energy was palpable. On the day Carla testified against her then ex-husband, man, oh man, there was a lineup down the block outside the courthouse. That day, Carla walked through the courthouse and up onto the witness stand. She was so small that no one could see her. So like everyone was like standing up and the judge got mad and told everyone to sit down. And there was just so much anticipation. The woman everyone had built up in their minds for so long was so different than they imagined. The pictures we'd seen of her in the media weren't really representative of what she uh, looked like. She was just a petite, pretty young woman. But her face, expressionless. Her demeanor, almost robotic. 
After the initial shock of her appearance, it was time to get down to business. She spent several days with the Crown going through her relationship with Paul Bernardo. What happened with Leslie? What happened with Kristen? As she recounted the violence the two girls endured while she and Paul held them captive, Carla was noticeably unemotional. Joy remembers it well. I'm just looking at Carla as she's just reading matter-of-factly how they kidnap and rape and torture these girls and and how they're killed, like reading a laundry list, um, and, and making sure that, um, you know, we all know that, you know, she made the effort to comfort one of the girls by giving her a teddy bear. It was all really unsettling. Her monotone presentation was similar to the initial interview confessing to the Crown as part of her plea deal. Here's Carla in that interview. He went over to her and he strangled her more. And I think I watched that time. What the hell? She's dead anyway. In court, when the Crown pivoted to questions about Kristen, Carla's tone was a bit different. She actually cried. She, you know, felt really bad about Kristen because she figured they were friends because they had spent so much quality time together. Let's backtrack for a moment here. Carla helped Paul lure Kristen into their car in the parking lot of Grace Lutheran Church. From, you know, all accounts, there, uh, Carla Hamolka was in the passenger seat and called Kristen French over and said, you know, hey, we need help with directions. Can you help with directions? So Kristen came over, Carla got out and put the map on the hood of the car. Then they shoved Kristen in the car and held her captive, torturing her for three days before killing her. That's the quality time Carla was referring to. Carla made a similar point and alluded to the time she spent with Kristen in the plea deal interviews too. Here's Carla in her own words. It's all on tape in a 1997 special put out by the Fifth Estate. I never should have gotten to know Kristen because you get emotionally involved with these people and it really hurts. It hurts a lot more because I felt like I was friends with both of them, especially Kristen, because we did so much stuff together. We put makeup on together. Um, we talked, you know, just girl talking Paul was, when Paul was gone getting us food. And it just made it hurt even more. But despite her claims about having a connection to the victims, in the same interview, she also admitted her complicity in Kristen's death. He wanted to keep her for longer. And I didn't want to. Like, I was going to work. I didn't want to go to work knowing that this girl was in my house and she could escape so easily. And I didn't... I was afraid. So I didn't suggest to him that we kill her on Sunday. But I knew that she... I knew that she had to be gone. In court, Carla's story didn't waver from her initial meetings with the Crown when she struck her deal. She was still claiming to be a battered wife in a tumultuous relationship, and she too was a victim of Paul's, and that she was an unwilling participant in the murders of Kristen and Leslie. It was only out of fear for her own life that she cooperated with Paul. She always went back to the fact that she was afraid. The prosecution continually circulated the image of Carla with the deep black eyes from the time when she was sent to the hospital after the couple's final domestic dispute. And because the tapes never revealed who exactly enacted the killing, 
Carla made sure to be especially specific with those details. Her feet were tied with that electrical, um, electrical cord that he used to kill Leslie. And then he strangled her after he was done. After five days of well-prepared testimony, Carla's side of the story had been exhausted. But her claims were yet to be tested by Paul's defense. Carla's time on the stand was far from over. It was time for the cross-examination. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The cross-examination started off with a bang. His opening was one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen in court. He had a folder in his hand, and he's wearing his lawyer's robes, and he came out from behind his lawyer's table like something that had been released from a cage. Over the course of her testimony... John Rosen had been eagerly awaiting his moment to approach Carla on the stand. And she would pop herself up on, onto the stool in the witness box, like a, like a, I think the way that she thought a, a gentlewoman would do. And this facade was something that John Rosen was so eager to break as quickly as possible. People in the crowd were excited to watch his questioning too. To this day, John has a reputation in Canada for his bulldog approach. Everyone was waiting to see what he would get out of her, to see what she would say, to see if she would break down. And John certainly pulled out all the stops. He pretty well ran right up to get right in her face. And I mean, they, I'm sure, could smell one another's breath like that. They were that close. 
Here's John recounting the opening moment in his own words. I said, who's this a picture of? She said, that's my sister, Tammy. I said, right. And this is a picture of Tammy in her coffin after they exhumed her, because you and him put her there, didn't you? And she was pretty shaken, actually. And she said, yes. And then I said, and who is this a picture of? This is Leslie Mahaffey, isn't it? She said, yes. And I said, and these are the cement blocks with the parts of her body in it that you and him put there. Isn't that right, Carla? And then I went to the third one and I said, who is this? I said, that's Kristen French, isn't it? And her school uniform that she was wearing the day you kidnapped her. And then this is her on a gurney, naked, scoured, no forensics, because you did that. Despite John's intense, intimidating approach, Carla didn't break. She was shaken and she was visibly upset, but she remained a pretty steadfast witness and stuck to her story through his long cross-examination of her. But the way Carla held it together was seemingly playing into the defense's strategy. As she survived each day of cross, she got a little bit stronger. Now, I was worried about that at the time, uh, but I think it also helped me because it showed the jury that she was no snowflake that could be blown away in the wind. In her cross-examination, Carla was unknowingly revealing her independent and hard-headed qualities, conflicting with the image she had so carefully crafted of an easily manipulated meek woman. She did have an inner core of iron, and it, it came out, and she could make her own decisions. And when she decided, not, you know, when he would go out for food and she was left guarding one of the girls, she didn't do anything about it. And her claims of being afraid and all that just fell on deaf ears. Her reaction, or lack thereof, emboldened their tactic to expose Carla as a willful participant in hopes of reducing Paul's charges. After 21 days of testimony and fiery cross-examination, Carla's time on the stand was up. It wasn't until the last minute that John Rosen stood up and said he would elect to call Paul Bernardo to the stand. And it was time for Paul to face his consequences in front of some of the people he hurt the most. He was wearing a black suit and a white collared shirt and dress shoes when he approached the court. Paul Bernardo stood up and he, you know, confidently walked past the jury, looked at all of them, made eye contact with them, acted like he was going on a job interview or something, was very confident and sure of himself. He actually stood for the first day and looked directly at the jury with every answer. Just like Carla, Paul stuck to his story, that Carla was the one who killed Leslie and Kristen. He started off by saying to the jury, I know I've done a lot of terrible things, but I did not kill these girls. And he looked right at them. He gestured with his hands. He was like a salesman, like just really working the room. Bernardo's whole defense was simple. He admits he's a very bad guy. He, he acknowledges the Scarborough rapes. He acknowledges he's a kidnapper and a rapist 
But he's not a killer, says Bernardo. She's the killer. In Paul's recollection, the girls died by different circumstances than Carla had told the court. According to him, Leslie was suffocated by Carla Homolka with a pillow, which Carla Homolka denied, and that Kristen died accidentally by strangling herself because she had been tied with a cord around her neck to a hope chest and that she was struggling to get free and she strangled herself by accident. After Paul recounted the events as he remembered them, John questioned him further. John asked about Tammy. So everybody expected me to go through his life history and all that sort of thing. And I just got him up there and I said, okay, Paul, look, did you and, and Carla, you know, uptund Tammy and sexually molest her and all that sort of thing? He said, yes, I, yes, we did. Okay, so let's get that off the table. All right, let's talk about Leslie. Tell me in like, you know, did you do this? No, I didn't kill her. This is what happened. This is how it happened. What about Kristen? No, I didn't kill her. This is what happened. This is how it happened. Okay. Thank you. Sat down. Less than 30 minutes. Paul's testimony may have been too little, too late. At that point, the general consensus was that everybody who had been invested in the trial had their minds made up. The problem that I think I had is that the tapes were just impossible to get over. Even though, even though they did not show the homicides, just the participation and the domination of these two poor innocent girls was just horrendous. He would be lucky if he got away with a long prison term instead of his whole life. And that was all predicated on his word against her word. You know, Ken versus Barbie. In his closing argument, John Rosen admitted Paul kidnapped, raped, and confined Leslie and Kristen, but maintained there was no proof he murdered them. He emphasized that Carla's testimony was not credible enough to convict him of murder. Prosecution closed their argument, telling jurors that even if they don't believe Carla, they should still convict Bernardo of murder because the videotapes provided enough proof that he killed the girls. After each side rested their case, the jury was finally dismissed to reach a verdict. Justice Patrick Lesage told the eight-man, four-women panel to consider all of the evidence in the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey before they reach a decision. That evidence includes 52 days of testimony, 87 witnesses, and several graphic videotapes. The jury went out for deliberations early in the afternoon on the first day. And the reporters, we just all are hanging around in the hallway, waiting, hoping that, you know, it's going to be quick because we think it's an open and shut case. The members of the court, the families of the victims, and the entire country waited with bated breath for the final decision. In your heart, you knew he was guilty and you knew he was going to be found guilty, but you just needed to hear the words. But everyone would have to wait. The jurors uh, deliberated just for a few hours, and then they retired for the evening. We all came back at nine the next morning. They started their deliberations again. And before noon, they came back with their uh, verdict. Collectively, 
It took only eight hours for the jurors to reach their final decision. The verdict was guilty. And on the outside, reporters were ready to break the news. Let me just tell you what it was like in that courtroom just moments ago. It was a packed courtroom. Uh, the, 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 there was nervous tension. Uh, when Bernardo came into the courtroom, he was... Uh, uh, the courtroom just went dead silent. When the uh, jury walked in, it got even quieter. Uh, and then uh, the uh, justice asked if they had reached their verdict, and he did. And uh, he went through the counts one, two, which are first-degree murder, guilty, guilty, guilty all the way down. Guilty of first-degree murder of Leslie Mahaffey. Guilty of first-degree murder of Kristen French. Guilty of aggravated sexual assault of Leslie and Kristen. Guilty of kidnapping the schoolgirls. Guilty of forcible confinement of Leslie and Kristen. And guilty of performing an indignity to a human body. He was um, sentenced to life imprisonment with no eligibility for parole until 25 years had passed. His fate was sealed. And it appeared he felt nothing. Bernardo stood as he has throughout this trial, cold and stone-faced showing no emotion as he was sentenced to two automatic life sentences. But the courtroom immediately erupted with emotional intensity. So as soon as we heard the words that he was guilty, it was absolute mayhem outside the courthouse um, with people excited and happy. Some even ran behind the paddy wagon transporting Paul to prison. People jeer Paul Bernardo, now a convicted murderer. There was a huge scrum of reporters, everyone trying to hear from everybody. They especially wanted to hear from the Mahaffeys and the Frenches. With dozens of reporter microphones in their faces, the families read statements on the steps of the courthouse. Leslie's dad, Dan, stood by her little brother, Ryan, as he spoke. We feel it would be inappropriate and impossible to speak how we feel at this moment. The intensity of the overwhelming pain and strong emotion have once again swept us and rendering us it impossible for us to adequately talk about the verdict, the death of Leslie, and what this moment really means to us. While the verdict gave Dan finality, it couldn't give him back what was most important. Only the trial is over. Leslie is still not coming home. Kristen's dad, Doug, was wearing a green sweater in the same hue as the ribbons worn in honor of Kristen when she disappeared. He addressed the press on behalf of the French family. Today, with the guilty verdict, especially the guilty verdict for first-degree murder of our daughter, there is some sort of closure. Well, it can't return our daughter to us. We have the satisfaction of seeing this perpetrator punished. Kristen's mom, Donna, was by his side when he shared one last message to their daughter. Finally, and as always, our final words for our daughter. With the trial over, Christy, you can't be hurt anymore. We love you. Then they shared a tight, emotional embrace as tears ran down their faces. After the trial, the Homolkas darted to their car when a reporter followed them. You feel that uh, your daughter was vindicated in the jury's uh, decision? Yes, she was. And that's all they said. Beyond the families so directly impacted by Paul and Carla's senseless violence, 
A sigh of collective relief was felt by all who had spent their summer glued to the trial. If you're asking yourself, what happened to Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka after the trial? And where are they now? Rest assured, you're not alone. Carla Homolka served all 12 years of her controversial sentence. Right to the last minute, amidst, uh, you know, outcry from all of Canada. Over a decade had passed, but Canada never forgave or forgot. People were so angry that she got what they called a deal with the devil. She was released from St. Anne de Plain Prison in Quebec on July 4th, 2005, under nine conditions. Here are a few that stood out. She had to inform the police of where she lived, where she worked, and who she lived with. Should she choose to change her name, she needed to disclose it to them. She could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, or anyone with a history of violent criminal behavior. She could not associate with people under the age of 16. Carla complied with all conditions and promptly resumed a seemingly regular life on the outside, but she did not return to Toronto. And the conditions of her release were removed just four months after they were put in place. She even started a family. She got married to her lawyer's brother, and they had children together. And briefly moved to a French island in the Southern Caribbean. But back in Canada, to this day, Carla is a pariah. Every once in a while, um, when someone spots her doing something, either with her kid's school or doing something in the community, there'll be a bit of a backlash. You know, maybe pictures will be sent to the media and people get angry, but there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do. She has served her sentence and she is now out in the community. And she maintains her story that she was manipulated into her involvement in the deaths of Kristen, Leslie, and Tammy. She has never apologized. She has never shown remorse. She has never taken ownership of her crimes. Paul began his life sentence at Kingston's Penitentiary in Ontario. He was classified as a dangerous offender and kept in segregation. Paul Bernardo is kept in solitary confinement in a special wing of the prison. Pretty much 24 hours a day, you know, maybe 23 hours a day, he's in this tiny 10 by 10 cell by himself. As soon as he got there, Paul had his eyes on parole and began doing everything he could to one day be released. In anticipation of those 25 years coming through from the date of his arrest, which would have been in 2017, he was taking whatever treatment programs were available to him in the penitentiary. He was uh, trying to obtain assessments that showed that the 25 years had accomplished something in terms of treatment. But his parole was denied. It's been said he makes pathetic reaches for pity. He cries a lot. I read that he cries a lot in jail. The sadistic killer thinks that he is the victim. At Paul's parole hearing in 2017, he requested to be removed from solitary confinement. 
that he be put on a more general wing of the jail with the general population because he cannot stand to live this way any longer. His request was denied. But six years later, this past June, he was transferred from maximum security to a minimum security prison in Quebec. The decision to move him has been the subject of public outcry but there are no plans to release Paul from his indefinite sentence. After the trial, Paul and Carla's pink house on Bayview Drive, where they tortured Leslie and Kristen, was boarded up and defaced with graffiti messages that read, Rotten Hell Paul Bernardo. Neighbors say that almost nightly, rocks are thrown at the house of horrors. They want it torn down. The neighbors got their wish. They knocked down the house as a way of kind of closing the book. They destroyed the place where all of this happened, not to destroy the memories, but to destroy the place, to destroy this place where sadistic, dark, awful, unspeakable crimes happened for the fun and pleasure of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamulka. The infamous, horrific videotape evidence was destroyed. No one will see those awful images again. No one will hear those awful sounds again. Locking them away in an evidence archive was not a viable option to them. It posed too much of a possibility, even if slim, that they could one day be unearthed again. And speaking of locking them away, remember Paul's first lawyer, Ken Murray, who hid the tapes from the Crown in 2000? he was ultimately cleared of obstruction of justice for withholding them. While so much of the violent saga has been destroyed, Canada and those affected have been permanently altered. I've often wondered what are the lessons of all of this? What, what do we take away as a society or as, as individuals from the whole episode? St. Catharines especially has never been the same. Our hometown, St. Catharines, wasn't a safe place anymore. They just didn't take from the families, they took from the whole community. And of course, the Mahaffey and French families are forever living with a void that can never be filled. The memories of those young women are held both specifically and generally in ways that are positive, that they are remembered as people of potential, as kind people, as people who were important to their families and friends and enhanced their lives, but never got to live their own lives to the, into adulthood. And we never got to know what they would be like as mothers, what contributions to the world they might have made, which could have been great. And although rife with complexity, Tammy's memory lives on too. We'll never know who she might have become and what she might have done because those possibilities were taken away for nothing, nothing of value at all, the opposite of value. They were wasted. And the Homolkas have had to face navigating a web of difficult reckonings and emotions. Her parents were in such an awful and complicated position. It's not easy to say that the family of somebody who was responsible for killing three people needs to be in our thoughts, but they do. Ultimately, Dorothy, Carl, and Lori lost family too. 
They lost their daughter. They lost both daughters in some ways. And I think they really wanted to believe Carla. I think they really wanted to save the daughter that still was there. And, you know, I think they placed blame on Paul Bernardo and some of that blame was appropriate. But yeah, certainly they're no monsters. They're victims in this too. Losing a child is one of the worst things you can experience. But to learn, yeah, that it was your other child who murdered her sister and then for the whole world to be in on this and witnessing your worst pain, your worst moment, your worst family nightmare, uh, you know, it's so exacerbated and I certainly feel for them too. Time has been taken to reflect on what could be learned from every aspect of the story. Nothing can ever make up for what happened, but for nothing positive to have happened that would make this less likely to happen again in the future would be tragedy upon tragedy. Some people believe there were important takeaways from the case, and change has been affected where missteps in the investigation were identified. Some procedures and technology have changed in policing and investigation that help police to collaborate with one another, to share information more readily, especially when it crosses jurisdictional boundaries, as these crimes did. And there's been time to reflect on the role Carla's privileges played in her lenient plea deal. I have to wonder how much the fact that she was a white middle-class woman plays into her sentence and the outcome in this case, because I don't think we could ignore the fact that she was in a privileged situation And perhaps had she been a different race, different class, even a different gender, how things may have been different for her. As the story ends, it comes with the age-old reminder to never judge a book by its cover. They look like us, Paul and Carla. So what is the difference between them and us other than they're insane and that they're sociopaths? But you don't see that in, in a person. You know, evil walks among us. I mean, it lives next door. It's got blonde hair and blue eyes, and it's cute as a bug, and it can charm the pants off your parents. Down the twisted path of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed couple, we've come to find that just like Ken and Barbie, evil, too, can come in a shiny package. If that's the lesson, what do you do about that, other than hope that you don't cross paths with people like these two, ever? Very Scary People, The Ken and Barbie Killers, is hosted by me, Donnie Wahlberg. It's a production of ID in collaboration with Neon Hum Media and is based on an original series created by CNN executive producer Nancy Duffy. At CNN, our senior producer is Sabina Ryman. Our producer is Allison O'Brien, and our associate producer is Michael Reyes. From ID... Our executive producer is Jessica Lowther. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Cooper Mall is our producer, and our associate producer is Zoe Culkin. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Our fact checker is Catherine Newham. Josh Hahn is our mix engineer. Theme and original music composed by Asha Ivanovich.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.